Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Together as family, welcome to Family Church. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 31 through 32. Only two verses. Y'all excited? Only two. That doesn't mean this message is going to be shorter, but it's only two. So there we go. So uh, we're going to look at two verses this morning. We're continuing our Family Roots series. And what we've been doing in this series is we spent one week in the Gospel of Luke, and we looked at Jesus calling the first, his first disciples. And now we've we've migrated over to the book of Acts, both written by Luke. And uh, in Acts, we're looking at the rhythms of the early church. And so we have five different roots and patterns that we see, kind of primal patterns that we see God given to his people. The first is that we follow. We follow Jesus. The second we looked at last week, which is pursue, pursue Jesus. This week, we're going to look at what does it mean to share Jesus? Next week, we're going to look at what does it mean to multiply for Jesus? And then the following week, we're going to look at what does it mean to gather for Jesus? I'm very excited about the close of our series. A good friend of mine, uh, and many of y'all know Pastor Larry Johnson, he's going to be here and he's going to help us close out our series together. I'm very, very excited for that Sunday. I'm very excited for what God is doing in our church family. Like I said, today we're going to look at what does it mean to share What does it mean to share Jesus? And that's really the big idea that we're going to unpack is God calls us to share him to other people. So the big idea, if you take anything away from today, those two words, share Jesus. So let's read in Acts chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. And, And let me, real quick, I'll set up what came before this. If you haven't read the book of Acts. Here's just a quick narrative. So last week, uh, we talked about Jesus' followers. They were promised the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends into heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. He defeats the grave. He ascends into heaven. We talked about it in our community group this morning uh, at nine o'clock. Shameless plug, we'd love to see you if you're here on Sundays, nine o'clock or midweek at my house. 630. And we talked about uh, Jesus' ascension and his promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come. So his apostles, they had, they had literally left everything. They left their careers. They left family. They left everything and followed him. And then Jesus died. And they were probably at that moment filled with doubt. But then he, he resurrects from the grave. He comes back and, and they, he's, he's affirming he, his promises are what they are. And he is who he said he is. And so then he, he appears to them for 40 days, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father and says, I'm coming back. And, and in that, the apostles went and then they prayed. And we do the math, about 10 days, they prayed for Pentecost to come. And then the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 comes upon the people of God. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in different types of tongues. They all understand in their own language. And then it says 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day. And then what we see in Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest, Peter, James, and John are the two, uh, are the three that are closest to Jesus of the apostles. Peter and John are ministering and they heal a lame beggar. 
There's a lame beggar and they heal him. And then Peter stands up in Solomon's portico or the gate and he preaches about uh, this Jesus, this Messiah that they've been waiting for is here. And so then the ruling party at the time, which was the Sanhedrin, uh, which was made up of Sadducees. And if you've been in church long enough, you've heard the joke, right? They're sad, you see, you know, you probably heard that before. So, but the Sadducees, they were a sect of Judaism and they didn't believe in the resurrection. So Jesus, so Peter and John preaching that this Jesus is the Messiah that they've waited for and that he's been resurrected from the dead and he is coming back to resurrect us to eternal life. This did not go well with their ruling party and their ideas. So they call him before a council and they tell Peter and John basically to shut up. Shut up and don't say anything else. And they threaten them. And then they release them. And then that's where we find uh, the church gathering. And what do they do? What do they do? We'll see here in a moment. They pray. They pray and they get together. Their response to persecution was praying for more confidence and more faith. So let's look at Acts 4, 31 and 32 together here this morning. It says, And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being here in this place this morning. We thank you that we have been allowed an opportunity to come and seek you in prayer, to seek you together in, in crying out in worship, Lord, and now to seek you together by opening your word and seeing what you would have to say to us. So God, through these two quick verses here in Acts this morning, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us in a powerful and a new and a fresh way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our big idea is this share Jesus. And the outflow of that idea is our two points. The first is this, how do we share Jesus? We share Jesus verbally. We share Jesus verbally. It says that when they gathered, the room in which they were gathered was, was shaken, and they continued to what? They continued to speak the words of God with boldness. We were talking in our group this morning, our, our community group here on Sunday morning, we were talking about how uh, there's that famous quote that's uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and he may or may not have said it, but it's attributed to him, and it's preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the Pope of the Catholic Church Pope Francis, he picked that name, because Francis is in his name, y'all know that, right? Like so, But he picked that name because of St. Francis of Assisi, because he's very famous for saying that preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Well, I love also what Ed Stetzer, who used to work for Lifeway and is now a professor at Wheaton College up in Chicago, he says, preach the gospel always, and since it's necessary, use words. So preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel always, and since it's necessary, use words. Like, and those seem like a contradiction, but they are in of the same. We preach in word and in deed. You see, if we have words and we don't have service, if we don't have works, you see, works don't save us. Uh, 
Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one could boast, no man could boast, but we are his workmanship. In the Greek, that means masterpiece. We are, his, we are fashioned in his image for good works that he prepared long in advance for us to do. There's whole lot of stuff in there, even predestination. The Bible's awesome. You just got to read it and trust it for what it is. And so what we see is that God has prepared us to do good things. Those good things don't save us. But because we're saved, we do good things. Does that make sense? And so we're going to get to that in a moment. But part of the deeds that we do have to be backed up by the words that we speak. So we share Jesus. And the first point is this. We share Jesus verbally. We share Jesus verbally. Like I said, Peter was in Solomon's portico. They had just healed the lame beggar and uh, the Sanhedrin had told them to no longer preach this gospel. And they were preaching, if you go back to Acts 3, 19 through 21, Peter was preaching things like, repent therefore and turn back from your sins that they may be blotted out and that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, who who heaven has received now for the restoring of all things that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long time ago. This shaked up the religious establishment at the time because they had to really decide, was Jesus this Messiah that they were waiting for? Remember even the apostles last week, they, they said, okay, okay, Jesus, you're ascending into heaven. And I'm paraphrasing here, uh, but they, they said, now is it time for the kingdom of Israel to be restored? And their thought of the kingdom of Israel being restored was an earthly kingdom. They were thinking now's the time like Judas Maccabees had come in and, and re-got re the, the, the second temple, which was become known as Herod's temple, and had, uh, had, had cleansed the altar, which had, had been defiled during uh, the Seleucid Empire who had conquered them at the time. They expected, and if y'all didn't know, Jews celebrate Hanukkah as an act of that altar being rededicated to the Lord. And, and that was their whole idea, is they thought, okay, this earthly kingdom is going to be restored. But what Jesus had was earthly kingdoms are of importance, but what's of more importance is a heavenly kingdom where every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow and will come together. We'll no longer have the United States of America. Hate to break it to you in eternity. We will not have Canada. They're weird anyway, right? We won't have Iraq. We won't have uh, Australia. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who are Christians, those who have followed Jesus, given their hearts to Jesus, it doesn't matter where they are. They could be behind enemy lines. They could be here in this very place. Every knee will bow, and they will, be, they will bow to acknowledge who God is and spend eternity apart from him if they have not confessed him as Lord. Though if they've confessed him as Lord, he will say, come on. Spend eternity with me. We looked at that Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven, the new earth, the day that we all long for. And the reason we share Jesus verbally, just like Peter did, uh, commanding them to repent and, and, and be baptized, is because it's, of, it's, it's, of, it's a life and death situation. People need to hear about the good news of Jesus. And why do we call it good news? Because it's got to go to some place that's bad. 
That's why you may look at hurt and struggle and turmoil. I don't know. I haven't watched the news this morning. Is, that, is the hurricane still going to Florida, right? Or is, okay. You know, we're not wishing it upon Florida, but we're talking about in group this morning, even if something like that came to us, I don't think we could bear another storm. But God still uses hardship to point us towards him. He always does that. We blame God for ever, all the bad things that happen in our lives. And I, I, I think God allows some of those things to happen, but he's not the cause. The cause is brokenness. And that brokenness reminds us that we need Jesus. And that's really the model of what it means to follow him. We see in Luke chapter, and, 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 the, and the thing that we need to follow him is his presence. It says when they were gathered together, they prayed, and the room in which they were gathered, it shook. I mean, would y'all not, would you not freak out if we're in here and we prayed like we did at the beginning, room began to shake? You're like, wait, we have an earthquake? You know, like we're in Louisiana, we don't get those. Like, but this shaking was a sign of God's presence. Let's not detach ourselves from scripture. God moves in tangible ways. And so what happened here is the room in which they gather was shaken. If you read the Old Testament, a sign of God's presence oftentimes was accompanied by an earthquake or some sort of uh, shattering type of event. Think of Mount Sinai and, and the thunder and the lightning around Mount Sinai and Moses getting the law. And so the room in which they gathered was shaken. The shakenness was, a, was really a reminder that God is who he said he was and his presence was at work among them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean they got the Holy Spirit? No, it says in Acts 2 that they actually had the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who came and empowered them, sealed them until the day of redemption, like Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. But this was a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, we as God's people, if you are in Jesus, you have his presence in you. But we do have to rely upon him daily. We have to ask for him to, okay, come and fill me. Help me overflow in me so that I can do what you've called me to do. I love what John Pohill writes in the New American Commentary here. He says, this isn't quite the, the filling of the Spirit. This wasn't necessarily a second Pentecost. They already had the Holy Spirit, but it was a fresh filling and, in fact, a renewed awareness. A renewed awareness that of the Spirit's power and His presence in our life and witness. Do y'all know the Holy Spirit's always knocking on our door? It, scripture says, Luke eleven thirteen. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will He, the Father, give the Spirit, His presence, to those who ask Him? Our God's a good God, just like we want to give our our kids gifts, right, Joe? Even when they're terrible, like even even when we want to bless our kids, y'all, it's so hard to give coal at Christmas, right? You know, we we threaten it all the time, but who's actually done it? You know, it's hard because we want to give good things to our kids, even when they're bad, and God wants to do the same to you and I today. He wants to give you his very presence. And so this renewed awareness, I think, is something that God is calling all of us to today, to, uh, to rely and apply his presence and spirit in our lives. You'll see a model that we've uh, taught in our small groups on how to share Jesus. I think this is the easiest. If we're going to share Jesus verbally, I think this is the most helpful tool. And there are other tools out there, but this is one of the easiest for me to remember. I'm not the smartest guy uh, around the block, right? You know, and so it's one of the easiest to remember, and it's three circles, three circles, God's design, 
brokenness and gospel, or you could say Jesus. So God's design, brokenness, and Jesus, the good news, the gospel. And so what you see is this is how it's so easy to share Jesus. Maybe it feels awkward like to just go door to door. Maybe it feels awkward to just say, hey, you know, I'm not saying you don't need to do that. If God fills you with the presence and spirit and boldness to do that, then do that. But maybe it's not always easy to share about Jesus. Well, you know what everybody likes talking about? Right there. Everybody likes talking about brokenness. Y'all ever go to work and everybody's complaining about what's happening in the world, you know? Maybe even in the news, maybe you're watching too much Fox News, too much CNN, you know, you're complaining about the state of the world. People get, people hurt them, they break up with them, like relationships are broken. Brokenness is a reality that we all deal with. And you know what? As Christians, we can relate to non-Christians because we are broken too. And we can say, but here's the thing, brokenness causes us to turn to Jesus, the gospel, which is the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to perish but would have everlasting life, John 3, 16. And that brokenness and that confession of sin allows Jesus to work in our lives and we get to pursue God's design, which God always created us for good. If you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created everything good. The only thing that wasn't good was that man was alone. But God created a helper for him, Eve. And then it says, God said, you can have everything. And the reason God created Eve for Adam is Adam needed relationship. He needed a helper. He needed a spouse. But furthermore, for those of us maybe in this room who aren't married, we were built for relationship. We were built for human interaction. That's what the church does. And so this is what God created us for. The only thing that messed it up was sin. And sin happened when God said, you can have everything but one thing. And, they, and Adam and Eve wanted that one thing. And sin entered the world, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so that's just an easy way to share Jesus verbally. And I, I know we have some of these guides. I'm more than willing to, to if, if you need one, I'd love to point you towards it. Or just Google three circles gospel presentation and you will find it. Easy, easy way to share Jesus. But more so, they share Jesus verbally, but their sharing Jesus verbally played itself out in the life of the local church. And we see in the next verse, they shared Jesus tangibly. God calls us to share his good news. Remember, for good news to be good, it's got to go to someplace bad. And God tells us to go to those dark places because darkness is darkness because there is no light there. But we are, we, we're the light of the world, a city on a hill. And that light that we've been given is given to us by the one true light, the true light of the world, Jesus, living in and through us. And we share, the, we share that light to dark places and we do it in both our words, but also backed up by our deeds. And we, y'all, I'm so excited. We've talked about us as family church getting back to Kenner. I'm so excited that uh, it, it stinks. We've, we've been able to share Jesus in word or deed where God has placed us. Uh, this move has separated us from a community that we served greatly after Hurricane Ida. And we're not going to rest on the 10,000 meals that got served uh, after Ida. We're not going to rest on that. We're not going to rest on the thousands of supplies. Given. We're not even bragging about that because that's all God's glory and God's fame. We've got more work to do. 
We're going to love our community. We want our community to so know that we're there. Even right now, while we're here in Metairie, we want our community to so know that we're here that the moment we leave, they grieve. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what God has called us to do as a church, to be his hands and his feet. I love what the author of Hebrews says. He kind of repeats this pattern that we're seeing here in Scripture. The reason patterns are repeated in Scripture is because it's something God wants us to know. So share Jesus verbally, share Jesus tangibly. If you go to the end of the book of Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16, it says, Through him, and that him is Jesus, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Which is, or that is, depending upon your translation, is a qualifier. So the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Well, if your lips are, if you're saying something that is desirable, you know, fruit is desirable. It's not sour, it's, it's good, it's nourishing. If there's something desirable coming out of you, it's the Holy Spirit's inworking through you and outpouring through you. So we know that God has called us to share him verbally, but then in the very next verse, the author of Hebrews says, not only do we share Jesus verbally, but in verse 16 he says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There's a warning there. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you have. Why would the author of Hebrews write a warning there? Maybe, in fact, uh, he had seen what happened here in the book of Acts. If you don't know this, verse 32, let's, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 42. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. That word there for common is a root of the word koinonia. Anybody ever heard that Greek term koinonia? Koinonia means fellowship, communion, sharing. It's what we do as a church. It kind of defines who we are. And then the next verse, it says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. They're verbally proclaiming Jesus like they had just prayed for to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus for as many... Uh, for as many, oh wait, hold on. The, the apostles were declaring about the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. And then look at verse 34. Wouldn't this not be a testimony in our city? It says that they found there was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of land and houses sold them and brought their proceeds of what was sold. And then you see there's commended Joseph, also called Barnabas was, was commended here in a moment. And if you know the next chapter, we get to Ananias and Sapphira. And what Ananias and Sapphira did is they held back some of what they had committed to give to the Lord. And Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. How would y'all like if our offering we take at the end, you know? If you hold back what God's called, oh, you're dropping dead, man. We would have revival, right? You know, I'm joking. Scare the mess out of us, you know, but same God, same, same God that we, same God of the book of Acts is the same God that we serve today. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And what does this mean? This means the author of Hebrews said, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. Do not forget the koinonia, what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We are warned to not, not, 
neglect serving Jesus tangibly with our deeds and with our time and our talent and our treasure, we're warned because it's of spiritual importance. Now, this isn't communism. This isn't socialism. In fact, maybe the Gentile, the Gentile audience that was receiving both the Gospel of Luke and, and this book, Acts, Maybe they were encouraged by this. I don't know if you know, but some of the roots of like socialism, communism, some of those ideals come from Greek philosophy. And in Greek philosophy, they, they really had a desire that kind of a utopia, all private ownership ceased to exist. People shared, they were of one heart and soul. And so would it not be encouraging to these people these things that they thought they could manufacture through their own deeds came to pass through the work of the local church. These things that maybe they desired sinfully were, were provided by God abundantly by us doing it His way. The reason it's not communism or socialism is they own things, right? No one commanded them to give up their property. They willingly laid down their property to love on each other and to love on those who are in need. I thank, I thank our church for being generous. We give generously as a church. If we didn't give generously as a church, we couldn't make it back to Kenner. I encourage you to continue to be generous. But I want to go beyond money here. I know we're talking, I mean, I know they're talking about money specifically here, but I want to go beyond money. We have to be generous with all of ourselves. We have to give our time and our talent. I'm so thankful for, I was telling Tim this morning, like I was so thankful for Tim and, and, uh, and, and, and him coming and serving every Sunday morning. Travis, as they come, Abel's not here today, but they come every Sunday morning early. I beat them today because we had to fill the baptism. It's rare that the pastor beats them to church, you know, because they're serving here from the very get-go, providing an opportunity for come, us to come together and worship. There are so many needs in our church. We've got young people. Y'all saw one of our worship leaders is out there taking care of young people. Well, we've got needs. We have places that people can serve and plug in. I'm sure Elijah would love some help with the youth ministry on Sunday nights. There are places that we can serve and plug in. I want to commend Donald in the back. Donald is sitting there kind of keeping an eye on our door. Y'all know Ken and Jeannie did that for years. You know, we had to give them a break every now and then. They watch the doors back at, uh, and they'll do that again. But we, there's different ways that you can serve the local church you know whether it's counting money after the service it, hey we need to find someone right now who'll do a a deposit for us they'll take the monies that we've been given and we'll bring it to the bank there are different ways that you can serve of course you got to be reputable and things like that and there are checks and balances for everything there are so many ways that you can plug into the life of the church because here's the thing if you were with Crossroads Community Church or the old University City Baptist that has now been replanted as, as, as family church or even the old Restoration Church, if you were with us, Joe, you know, we all desire and we all long for God to do a good work in our city. And we, desire, we, we long and we desire that God would do it in and through us together. Because here's the thing. You can find better preaching in the city it doesn't matter who's up here elijah whenever you share like hate to break it to you there's better preachers in our city i can give you a list of them you know <laughs> they're better than me they're better worship leaders 
They're a better uh, sound tech. Sorry, Travis, you know? We're not, here, we're not here gathered to be entertainment or to be the best. We're gathered together as a family because we believe God has given us a mission. And that mission that we long for is not for our glory and, and our good, but for the good of those who are among us and the glory of God. Archbishop William Temple once said that the church is one of the only collective societies in our world created for the benefit of its non-members. Now get that. The church is one of the only, only organizations in society created for the benefit of its non-members. It means that we, yes, when we gather together as a church, we sacrifice and we help one another out because that's what was happening in Acts. But what it means is that we want to invite, this is an exclusive club. We want to invite as many people as we can to hear about this good news that Jesus is doing in and through us. And we can't do, we can't accomplish the dreams that God has called us to. Not just Dean, not just Laura. Like we can't accomplish the dreams that God has called us to if we don't do it together. It says that they were one what? One heart and soul. It says together they were of one heart and soul. What made their unity possible? I believe that what made their unity possible was that they gave without reservation. They gave and they sacrificially gave to one another. It doesn't mean that we hold, hold things over people if they can't help us out. But what it does mean is that we help as much as we can. You know, Robert, you know, I joked with Robert, we spent like, Five hours trying to figure out his Prius's battery, right? You know, like so. <laughs> but, you know, we, we eventually, through the dealership who knew what they were doing, accomplished it. You know, like, and so we sacrifice and we serve one another even when it's not convenient. And we do this with a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. Brennan Manning, he actually used to live in, on the West Bank. Uh, author of a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I don't know if you ever heard of that, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Brennan Manning once said that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians, and I don't fully believe that part of it. I believe the greatest single cause of atheism today is um, unhealthy Christians don't help, but I believe it's ultimately sin, idolatry. But the, take it for what it is. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by the way they live or their lifestyle. And he closes and he says this, that is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. Let me say that again. Acknowledge Jesus with our lips and we walk out and we deny him by our lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, it doesn't mean that the church is going to be perfect, because I'm not perfect. Me and my, my friend, uh, uh, who's a pastor, uh, a pastor's son of a big church in the city, I'm not going to say who he is so that he's not shamed, our kids got together, we played yesterday evening, like our kids played. And you know what? Our kids aren't perfect. I think one stuck the middle finger at the other ones, the other one did this. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But what it does mean is that we know the one who is. It means that we turn our eyes upon Jesus. We look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth, they grow strangely dim. And light 
of his glory and grace. That's why we just sang the old chorus, the, the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Like, that's what we long for. God, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And no one comes to the Father but by you. And I pray that one day this koinonia that they experience, this communion, this fellowship, this contribution, this participation would be a testimony that's spoken of you and me. I love Martin Luther King wrote in his letter from the Birmingham jail, he, he said this, he said, if today's church doesn't, and this was in light of racism, but we can expand it to many other things. If today's church doesn't recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it'll lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. Let me say that again. If today's church doesn't recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, what we're reading about here right now, the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it'll lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club without meaning. May we never be a social club that has no impact on a world that needs to hear about Jesus. May we share Jesus verbally. May we share Jesus tangibly. And today is not a day for shame or for, or for sorrow. Today is a day that we get to lay it all at the feet of Jesus, who says there's no condemnation. I, I don't care about what you did yesterday. I care what, about your heart that is oriented to me today. And I pray that that is our testimony as a church, that we would preach the gospel always and when necessary use words, and that we would preach the gospel always and since it's necessary we would use words. And the thing I will close with is this. I'm up here today, I'm proclaiming, I'm talking about Jesus. I wasn't always this way. You can ask my mother. I was a pretty shy kid. I didn't like people. Like, I hate to break it to you, like, I didn't like people. I was shy. Like, God called me to, uh, don't, don't laugh at your, at your significant other, you know, like, uh, you know, it's a, uh, here, we can always look, you know, so like I was shy, I didn't like people, but God said, I want you to share me with other people. And I prayed and I said, God, if you're calling me to leadership, I need boldness. And I didn't have to wait 10 days like they did in Acts. It came supernatural and it was immediate. My wife prays that I have less boldness often. You know what I mean? Like boldness is good. And the Spirit wants to give us boldness so that we can share Jesus in word and in deed. Romans 10 verse 13 says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how will they call upon that name if they don't have someone preaching to them is what Paul writes or someone telling them. The word there for preaching literally means to share a message. And God has not called one person hired by a church to do that one day a week. God has commanded us as his people to do that all the time, every day of the week, to people who desperately need to hear in our world that is in desperate need. Let's pray and let's ask for the Spirit's power to work in and through us. Lord, I thank you so much for the life that you've given us. The life that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, today I pray that this life that you're building up, 
Lord, would be one that you use, that you would have sacrificed for you, that our lives, like Paul wrote, would be living sacrifices. Lord, I pray when people look at us, they don't see pride. I pray when people look at me, they don't see Dean, or or they don't see uh, just a vocation, Lord, but they see someone who has been forgiven by you and wants to offer that forgiveness to other people. God, I pray for those in our world that need us, that need Jesus, and they need us to share Jesus, share Jesus verbally and share Jesus tangibly. God, we rely on you right now to use us for your glory and our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.